Hi, this is John Lodge of the Moody Blues, and you're listening to Follow Your Dream on the Robert Miller Podcast. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Kenny Jones, one of the greatest drummers in rock history. He hit the trifecta. He was an original member of the Small Faces, along with Steve Marriott and Ronnie Lane. They later changed their name to the Faces when Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood joined the band, and they had a whole bunch of hits. And then he played with The Who following Keith Moon's death. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he's in the Follow Your Dream Hall of Fame. And in the middle of this episode, as I do with all my musical guests, Kenny and I are going to do what I call a song fest. We're going to play a handful of his best works, and we're going to talk about them, and you'll get the backstories. And nobody else does this in podcasts. And you know that I like to feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end of every episode, and I try to make it relevant somehow to my guest. This time it was easy because my featured song that you're hearing right now is my reimagined version of The Who's great hit, I Can't Explain, which was recorded live in Serbia at a music festival by my band Project Grand Slam. So, Kenny Jones, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Lovely to be here. Thank you. So, you know, you were at ground zero of what we used to call the British invasion in the 1960s. Tell me what it was like. I think, as everyone says, you had to be there at the time. Everyone says, what was it like? I said, well, you had to be there. I can't, can't, it's, it's like the first thing that happens to you when you become famous. I was only 15 when we had a hit record. So I was swept off my feet into the 60s may- mayhem and pandemonium. And, you know, it's when I used to hang around with Keith Moon and uh, all those guys, the Kinks and the Hollies and, uh, you know, all the bands. It's like being in one great big band because we used to all hang around together in Carnaby Street and not Carnaby, well, Carnaby Street and Wardour Street more than anything outside the marquee. You know, your friend John Lodge was telling me when he was on the show that everybody kind of went out together and, you know, had had some drinks and some dinner, etc. After everybody's gigs, you all would meet up at some place. Do you remember that kind of thing? I do, yeah. Usually a, usually a pub, a nearest pub or or a club. If it was, it was terribly late, you know, used to go down tramps. If you do a late session at night, you know, the only place to get something to eat is in a nightclub. So Trump's had nice hamburgers, so we could eat something, because you know, eating all day. All right, so you're all together, everybody that you just mentioned, all the great British bands, you all kind of knew each other, didn't you? We did, yeah. I mean, the Who and the Small Faces used to tour together. The British press would say, when I say the press, I mean the music press, would have, have it, would say, 
that we hated each other's guts. We didn't. We loved each other to bits. We got along so well. They were from one side of London. We were from the other side of London. And uh, like the east end of London is where we're from. And the west side of London was where where the Who were from, really. And so and there was two, two forces of bands meeting in the middle in London. You didn't feel competition with one another? No, because we appreciated each other's music. And so, and also we got along very well because we, apart from that, like, you know, the main thing was liking each other's music, but also as people, as person, people, they were really nice people to get along with, you know. And so a lot, a lot in common. Also, John Emerson and I, I started, I started doing sessions when I, when I was in the Small Faces for other bands and different people. And nine times out of ten, John Emerson would be on, he did sessions as well. So we'd be on the same session. You know, I've told this story before. When The Who first came to the United States, the first gig I think that they played was a show in New York City where there was a whole bunch of bands put together by a guy named Murray the K, who was a disc jockey at the time. And they had, like I said, about 10 different acts on the show. The last two on the bill were The Who and The Cream. As they called <laughs> Great. <laughs> and they opened the show. And I remember to this day, because I was about, I don't know, 15 or so, when the Who, of course, destroyed their instruments and Keith Moon kicked over the drums. I mean, we all had our tongues hanging out. Did <laughs> they have that act going on in England as well? Oh, yeah. Everywhere you went, people put his guitar through an amp and Mooney would smash his drums up. I felt I didn't like the idea of smashing my drums up, so I, I loved my drums. So you wouldn't do it, right? <laughs> so when I, when I joined Who, I said, I'm not smashing any drums up. <laughs> You know, I always wondered, how did they afford to do that when they were just starting out destroying a guitar and drum set every time that they played? No, they couldn't. They got into so much debt. It's unbelievable. So that people were after them for money, God knows what. But, uh, you know, they certainly got noticed. I'm sure they did. They certainly did get noticed. All right. You know, let's start a little bit because the music that you did was so great. And I got some tunes to play from, from Casey. But I want to start with something we didn't cover, which is the hit by the small faces that I loved back in 1966. I'm talking about Ichiku Park. Oh, yeah. Over bridge of sights To rest my eyes in shades of green Under dreaming spots To Ichiku Park, that's where I've been What did you do there? Tell me a little bit about your recollections of that song. Ichiku Park was uh, around London. There's a few parks called, some of them are called Ichi Park and some of them are called Ichiku Park. Uh, well, it's only one that's in the east end of London. Um, but um, Ichiku Park comes from, well, my Ichiku Park from the east end of London was when I was a kid, after the Second World War, we played on these bomb ruins. So. So after the Germans dropped all the bums on us. And so through these bricks and rubble grew these great big stinging nails. And so 
in the East End, we, when we were kids growing up, we always wore short trousers. It was like a playground for us, these bomberans. And uh, so I got, kept getting the sun on my legs. So I was going, oh, Ichi, Ichiku. So there was an actual park or parks that was named Ichiku. Is that where you got it from? Near, near Steve and Ronnie, where they lived in Ilford, there's a park called uh, Ichiku Park. So interesting. I have to say that the faces and the small faces had the greatest names for songs and albums that I can remember. I mean, Ichiku Park was just this totally different kind of a song title. But then you had this album, Ogden's Nut Gone Flake. No, you're talking. Tell me about that. Ogden's Nut Gone Flake was a fantastic album. I think mainly because basically it was a revolutionary breakthrough. We didn't just write songs. This was a story about a little guy called Happiness Stan who goes in search of the other half of the moon. So we wrote a song about um, Stan when we look, looked uh, up in the sky and we couldn't see, we wonder where the other half of the moon was. So it was an imaginary journey of going to find him. Where'd the title come from? Well, that's another thing. In, in Pimlico, it's a posh place in London, we decided to rent a flat, so a house. So we had uh, these rolled joints in, in a tin of tobacco. And it's called Ogden's Flake, this round tin. And um, we called them Rizzlers, uh, papers. You rolled your cigarettes up in, or your joints. So Ogden's Nut was, was a form of tobacco? Is that what you're saying? Oh, it was called Ogden's Flake. I see. Ogden's Flake, a tobacco, right? So we were sitting around one day and we were thinking, what can we call when we finish the album? What, what can we call the album cover? What can we call it? What cover can we do? So we were sitting around having some weed, you know, and suddenly we looked at the tin. So we thought, okay, it's Ogden's Nut Gone Flake because it makes your nut go. I can just imagine you guys going to the record company and saying, we got this great name for this album. And you tell them it's Ogden's Nut Gone Flake, and they probably <laughs> freaked out at that point. Oh, yeah, I know. We had to get permission from Ogden's Flake, the tobacco company. And they they gave us permission to use it, which is great. You know, so no problem. <laughs> Good for you. Okay, we're going to listen now to another song by the Small Faces. And by the way, I heard a story. Tell me if this is true, that you guys named yourselves the Small Faces because you were all small in stature. No, not really. I mean, a friend of um, Steve Marrett's, who's like a very posh girl from Kensington, and uh, near Harrods, you know, that sort of thing, Sloan Square. She said, oh, you haven't got a name. So he said, she said, why don't you call yourself the small faces? Because you're little, little, you've got small faces. So we burst out laughing. We couldn't believe what we were in. So we took the piss out of ourselves and and this lady and just the night the name it stuck with us so there you go that's how we go you know what's in a name but like you said it sticks and then everybody just kind of accepts it nobody even thinks about it afterwards it was a cool name okay we're playing tin soldier Stand. You know, I need this treatment like a man. 
tell us what your thoughts and recollections are about that one. Well, Tin Soldier is one of the great tracks that I like. It's uh, it's also, I mean, I've got to say that I like most of the songs that we did in the Small Faces. But it was right about the Ogden's not going flake immediate. We were on immediate records at that time. We Andrew Alder of the Labour, and so we did. Here come the nice Tin Soldier, and Ogden's not going flake. And we were always living in, in um, Olympic Studios in Barnes, and very fortunately, we had Glenn Johns, uh, who was an engineer at the time. Glenn great Johns, engineer. yeah, great engineer, and he's he's got a book out called Sound Man. He was on so many hits for so many bands, wasn't he? Oh, I know. And he's in the Rock Hall of Fame as well. Yeah, yeah. So he got a great, great drum sound. When you were in the Small Faces, as you mentioned, you, you were playing with Steve Marriott and Ronnie Lane. Steve didn't have a, you know, a great amount of success afterwards. What, what was your relationship at that time playing with those guys? Oh, we, 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 we all got along quite well, you know, not a problem. But Steve... Steve was like a little child actor when he was a kid. So he was kind of fun to be with. And uh, I mean, we were just like great guys who loved to be with each other. And the thing was, when we used to record together, we it came naturally. We had a built-in telepathy. That I did, they didn't tell me what to do. I didn't tell them what to do. And so we all kind of, thinking was mutual around the band. So it just was a natural thing that when we got together, it just it all happened. Really wonderful. The music started to flow quite like water. That's the way it should go. All right. But at one point, Steve Marriott and Ronnie Lane left the band, and you got these two guys, these two unknowns <laughs> named Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood that joined. Tell us about that transition. Tell us about your relationship with those guys. We started a new band. I mean, when we when the small faces split up. We were quite friendly with the Stones, and the Stones said, we've got a warehouse with a soundproof room in it. Why don't you get together once a week and just have a play? So we did. So we played for a little while. And then Ronnie Lane brought his, his new neighbour down, which, which was Ronnie Wood. Ronnie Wood came in, he said, he, Ronnie, and Ronnie said, I don't want to play bass, I want to, I want to play, I've just got a guitar, I want to play guitar. So he joined in on lead guitar with us. And what about Rod Stewart? Well, well then one the next week or so, the uh, Woody brought down his best mate, which was Rod Stewart. And Rod just sit on the amps watching us jam and play. And so, and then I and then I said to everybody, look, you know, because so we can't just like keep jamming all the time. Got to keep, you know, we've got to get serious. So Max started to sing, Ian McLean. I went, yeah. And then. Woody started to sing, went, yeah. Then Ronnie Lane started to sing. And because uh, Ronnie Lane's got a wonderful, wonderful voice. But not, and you still, all the time, we're missing that great, big, powerful voice of Steve Marrow. And that's where Rod Stewart came in? Well, I, all the time I'm looking at Rod. Rod, Rod had, 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 any, had any intention of joining. It's just a lot of friends sitting there waiting for Woody. So he wasn't brought down to join the group? He was just hanging out with you? Just hanging out, yeah. And so... Uh, every every you know, uh, twice in the evening, we used to have a break and go up to the pub in Bermondsey. Bermondsey it was called the Bermondsey Arms, and we'd sit there and have a drink. I think brandy and coke was our drink in those days. So was Rod Stewart a singer at that time, or he had not even become a singer? Yeah, Woody was at the time was playing bass with the Jeff Beck band, right? And Rod was singing with the Jeff Beck band. 
That's when they did Truth, uh, that album. That's it. Yeah, that was a fantastic album. Hi, everybody. This is your host, Robert Miller. I'm pleased to tell you that I've got a new album coming out soon called Bobby M. and the Paisley Parade. It features 10 new songs, plus guest appearances by John Helliwell of Supertramp, Tony Carey of Rainbow, and international sitar sensation Deobrat Mishra. The album has a definite 60s vibe, and the theme of the record is all about relationships and love. It may just be my best album ever. The reviewers agree. Indy Shark calls it Album of the Year. Big Celebrity Buzz says it's one of the great rock sets of the year. And Pop Icon calls it an adventure that keeps us on the edge of our seats. How about that? And for me, the icing on the cake is the praise that the album has received from world-class musicians like Steve Hackett of Genesis, Gary Puckett of The Union Gap, Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul and Mary, Jim McCarty of The Yardbirds, and David Liebert of The Happenings. I'm going to release the 10 songs on the album in a novel way in five special episodes of this podcast featuring two songs in each one starting after the new year. So be on the lookout for these special episodes of Bobby M. and the Paisley Parade. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to this podcast and please sign up for our weekly emails previewing each episode and much more. The links are all in the show notes. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. Okay, so they came in and they joined your band and you guys just hit the stratosphere with them. We're playing right now one of the great songs from The Faces, Stay With Me. Tell me a little bit about your recollections on that one. Uh, I remember recording it in uh, Olympic Studios, and Glenn Johns was the engineer uh, producer at the time. And once again, I had a great relationship with Glenn because he always got me a fantastic drum sound. And I just remember just recording it and thinking, "This is a great track. This is a it's a live, you know, it's a nice rock and roll track, you know." And so. That's why I, I, I mean, we play it all the time. You know, it's one of our biggest hits. Well, listen, it's a fantastic song and it's it's a signature song, as you said. Everybody knows, you know, exactly when you start it, what's happening and they sing along, I'm sure. Um, okay, so you, you gravitated from the faces 
and you started to play with the who. And I know this was after Keith Moon passed away. Did you quit the faces? How did that happen? No, the faces, I split up. Um, we ended our tour in 1970, end of 1975. And um, then I, I just stopped for a bit and I just did loads of session work and things and stuff. And then I got a call from Bill Kirbysley, the Who's manager, saying after Keith Moon had died. So, I mean, Keith had only been, uh, he died about, he'd only been dead for two months, three months. Then I got a call from Bill Kirbysley and he said, he said, I'll come straight to the point, Kenny. We've, um, the Who have had a meeting and they want to stay together. He said, well, they'd like you to join the band and they're not considering anyone else. So Bill, I said, I'm very flat. I'm very, very kind of them to consider me, but I can't. And I could hear his chin drop on the floor. I said, what do you mean you can't? I said, well, I can't. I'm just forming a band, which is true, with Glyn Johns. And, and so we're, it's kind of transatlantic. So half American and half British. And so and it was a great little band. Tim Rennick was in it on guitar. And so we had a, a really excited about this, this band. And also we had a record deal at the time. And at that, that time, you, you're talking about 1977, 78. And we were getting an advance for $1.5 million. Well, $1.5 million was a, quite a lot of money in those days. Sure. So we were quite excited about that. Then I, I, he said, well, look, Pete's coming into the into the office later on. Do you want to come in? I said, I said, yeah, I'd love to see Pete. So I went in to see Pete, because was only in Wardour Street, and I lived in Hampstead, not too far away. So we met up with Pete and, and Bill, and we're just sitting in the office, having a good old laugh about when the Small Faces and the Who used to tour a lot together. And we used to tour Australia, all around Europe, England. So we got kicked out of Australia. It was in havoc wherever we went. Why'd you get kicked out? Oh, it's a long story. It's another one. It's a, uh, I can't tell you. If you go, it take too long. You got to say. Was Was Keith throwing drums out the window in the hotel or something like that? No more. No, it's, 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 it's on an aeroplane. We all, all um, sort of fell asleep, and then Paul Jones, who's a Manfred Mann singer at the time. He was doing a solo record. He was support, coming out. He was on the same tour. We all woke up slowly. And Paul said, the aerostis came out and said, would you like some coffee, sir? And she walked straight past Paul. And Paul said, hold on, I would like some coffee as well. And uh, she said, you've got your booze. You, you drink that. Because you're not supposed to drink on flights in, um, internally. But we, didn't, we hadn't done it. We were all asleep. That was the support band. It was an Australian band. We were drinking on the flight, and we got the blame for it. So we said, "No, we paid our ticket. We want our coffee." And we all woke up slowly, going, "We want our coffee. We want it." So the plane was bumping up and down. And she said, "If you don't shut up, I'm going to have to call the captain out." So then the captain anyway came out. Said, "I'm going to have to divert to Melbourne." So he diverted to Melbourne. And we all walked off the plane with our hands in the air, <laughs> so, arrested. We explained it to the the, the boss of the air, um, the airport, and, and we said, "Look, you know, it's a misunderstanding. I don't know what's going on." So he, pilot got um, ticked off, uh, told off, and I think the aerostat got the sack. And 
we, by the time that they, and we got an apology, but by the time the news got hold of it and the, and England tabloids got hold of it, is we've let in, we've let the British invasion down. So, so we got the blame for it. So, anyway, it's having a good old laugh about that sort of. Thing. Did you get an evil eye from the Queen or something? <laughs> no, not yet. I'm still waiting for me. No. All right. So that's a good story. Okay. Tell us the rest of the, the story about how you joined the WHO. You're meeting with uh, Pete Townsend in the office. Yeah, we're just sitting there talking and having a good old laugh. And then Pete just out of the blue said, about two hours we were talking away, and he said, God, Kenny, you've got to join the band. You're one of us. You're a mod. You know, you grew up with us. And, and so I, I said, look, I've just, I told him about the band I was from. I said, I'll tell you, my band are in town, the American side, all in town tonight. So on the way back, I'm going to call in and see them. So on the way back home, I called in and saw the rest of the band. I said, look, guys, I said, I've been just left a meeting and who want me to join them? And when we to join her, and he's, they said, Kenny, you've got to do it. They're so gracious. So I said, well, okay, great. So I went back to Pete. I said, I called him out and said, look, yeah, fantastic. I can I can join, but I'm not copying Keith Moon. I'm not going to do it. Keith is only one drummer for doing That's always going to be Keith Moon, as far as I'm concerned. So what I like, what I do like is some of the fills he does, which I, you know, I'd like to do anyway. But other than that, I'm just going to be me. I'm a straight-head drummer. I'm not as flamboyant as Keith. And he, Pete said, no, he said, we have good, you know, in many ways we can do something completely different now. So I went, great, all right, fun. So I ended up in the Who. We never did anything completely different. Because all the people wanted, all the fans wanted was the Who songs. <laughs> all the hits. I can imagine. And, you know, you're right, because uh, Keith Moon as a drummer was a, was kind of a wild man. Nobody else could play exactly like him, but he also, you know, you you were a different kind of drummer and a more professional drummer in a sense. You kept time better and all of that. So it, that would be pretty hard to try and, you know, say I have to replicate everything that Keith Moon did. Yeah, you couldn't really. I mean, Pete sums him up. He says, you know, Mooney could go anywhere he likes, all over the place. I don't know as well, but he'd still come back in time. <laughs> so I said, yeah, no, that's Mooney, all right. He was a great drummer in his own right, no question about it. Okay, we're playing now underneath another song uh, called You Better You Bet with The Who. Tell us uh, about your recollections on that one. Well, we were recording with Bill Zimsy, who's, who's producing our album. And one of, this is one of the songs he did. Bill Zimsy was producing the Eagles at the time. So he was well known for getting that puddin'y kind of drum sound. Boom, boom. You know, so, you know Tom Tom's having a nice ringing note, live note. Yeah, no, boom. So all thuddy sound. So that's how that came about. And I said, look, Bill, I said, sounds a bit puddin'y. <laughs> he said, it's all right. You know, so we, we put a bit of our treble on it. And uh, we did the song. And the song is, uh, I really like the song. I mean, it's just, uh, 
a lovely song to play. And I, I just remember recording it with Bill. We did a whole album, but that that song was one of the best on on that. Oh, I totally agree with you. It was a terrific song. And uh, how long did you play with the Who? My my time with the Who spanned ten years. So I served my tour of duty. Thank you very much. <laughs> now I think Zach Starkey joined them afterwards. Am I correct? Yeah, Zach started. Yeah, and I I got him involved with uh, when I first joined the Who. He was always a Keith had promised him a um, a drum a drum kit. Right, his right drum kit. So when I joined the Who. I said to my roadie, who's Keith's roadie at the time, I said, where's Keith, Keith his drums? And they said, oh, it's just over there. So I'm like, okay, show me the white kit. So I told the white kit, I said, put it in the back of the van. We're going to go take it to Zach. So we set it all up in the front room. When he went to go home from school, so we got a surprise for Zach. Opened the door, front room door, and suddenly the big kit was set up completely. So he got behind it. I said, no, you don't need all these drums. You don't need all that. You just, just need these. That's how, that's how we got started. What a nice gift. I mean, you would think that Ringo would have given him the first drum set, but it turns out that you did, huh? <laughs> it's kind of strange, isn't it? Life is strange. To quote a John Locke song, isn't life strange? <laughs> exactly. All right. So there's a guy named P.P. Arnold that you played with, and yeah. we got a song called If You Think You're Groovy. Tell us about that one. Well, P.P. Arnold sang with the small faces. She's an American black chick, really soulful, just wonderful. And I think she played, she's one of the blackest singers for Ray Charles at one point. But um, she, she did a solo album, and so I ended up playing on it. So, and uh, I liked the drumming on it. Because once again, Ben Johns was producing and recording it. He's your guy. Oh, yeah. Sounds great. So tell us, what is Kenny Jones up to these days? What are you doing? Well, at the moment, I'm kind of, I've got my own band called The Jones Gang, which I hate the name, stuck with this again. It's a bit like, a sounds like a country and western band, but no, it's, a, it's just my band that I love to play with, and it's just great songs, and, you know, a bit of history that we play. Um, Robert Hart is, is a singer with us, and we, we're, he, he played with Bad Company after Paul Rogers. And Bucket, Dave Bucket Corwell, who's a lead guitarist, and he played with Bad Company. And Rick Wills, who played with Foreigner. Foreigner. Well, you're always surrounded by great players. There's no question about that. You've had one heck of a career. We have been speaking here with Kenny Jones, who, uh, of course, was with the Small Faces and then the Faces and then the Who and so many others. And he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Kenny, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a blast. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to listen now to the song that began this uh, episode. It's my reimagined version of the great song by The Who called I Can't Explain. I want to thank you all for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. 
Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. I'm gonna be-